Well, welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. We are uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, we've gone all the way from Genesis through 2 Kings. Uh, by the way, for those of you who missed it, First um, and 2 Chronicles, which goes along with pretty much right along with First and 2 Kings. It's just uh, a different timeline, and while the book of Kings focuses, you know, jumps back and forth between the kings of Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, Chronicles pretty much just tracks uh, Judah, different things that they talk about, but it's still pretty much the same timeline. So anyway, we've gone all the way through, they've been taken into captivity, and uh, they've lost everything, because, and, and it was brutal, uh, they, the way they were taken away, lots of death and destruction, and uh, this was a major event in the life of the uh, people of Israel, because of their sin and their refusal to do what God want, wanted them to do. Now what we're doing is we're looking at some of these books in the uh, Old Testament, that were written during this timeline, and we're kind of trying to put them in chronological order for you. Uh, we started last week with the book of Jonah, and uh, Jonah was a prophet. By the way, we, there's two categories of prophets in these books. They're, they're called major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, the difference between the two is the major prophets had a lot to say, and the minor prophets did not have much to say. And that's pretty much it. So all the little tiny books, those are the minor prophets. And all the big, yo mama, Ezekiel, Isaiah, those are the major prophets. You know, Not that one was more important than the other. It's just, that's, I don't know, that's what they said. So, um, so we looked at Jonah. Jonah, the first uh, prophet in that timeline of the kings, who uh, God had told him to go and speak uh, to Nineveh to tell them to turn from their sins. They didn't want to, he didn't want to do it, so he ran from God. We talked last week about why he didn't want to do it. A lot of people say it was because he was afraid to preach or just wanted to disobey God. But in reality, when you look at it, he knew, as these prophets knew, that what was coming. And he did not want God to forgive uh, Nineveh so that because they were going to come and destroy Israel as part of punishment. So he was trying to run from God. And Anyway, we took a look at that. Um, so now the next one, uh, in our chronological way, and some of these are a little bit of a guess, but... Uh, Pretty, pretty close. Next one would be Amos. Little book of Amos, if you want to try and find that somewhere in your Bible, page 1103 in mine. <laughs> but, uh, see, so everybody's got different Bibles, there's no telling what page you're on. But, uh, now, uh, Amos is a, uh, a prophet who comes along. Now, these prophets did pretty much one of two things. They, they either warned of what was going to come, or would explain what just happened. That's what they were doing to the people of Israel. So, and usually because something dreadful had happened. You know how like 9-11 hits us and everybody's got a question, why did that happen? You know, it was the same with the children of Israel. Something would happen and God would come along and say, this is why that happened. Okay? Usually because they were pretty bad and, and a lot of these things were the judgment of God coming. Or talking about what would come in the future. Um, usually again judgment of God, warning them to stop doing what they were doing. Now, in the midst of all of these prophecies, either explaining what had happened and why it happened, or what was coming and why it was coming, uh, they would often drift off into very distant prophetic mode, and they would speak of things way off into the future, and uh, at times they would prophesy of the Messiah that was to come or uh, of the New Testament 
the gospel coming to the New Testament and how God was going to pour out the Holy Spirit on everybody and all these different things. Um, I don't know if you've, if you've ever read the Old Testament. Sometimes you wonder, how did they know when they were talking about something that was contemporary and all of a sudden something that was off in the future? They seem to have a pretty good sense of, of what was. As I read it, it's hard for me to grasp it because I go... Okay, I understand this is now a prophecy talking about the Messiah or the end time or something coming because I've been taught that. And, and even the New Testament said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet so-and-so. But when you just read it by itself, there's no sense of, gee, this is off at some other distant time. At least not to us. Now, a lot of it is uh, because we're not really aware of the contemporary uh, events that are happening at the time of the prophecies. Um, for example, uh, if someone were to read a document about the workings of our church 2,000 years from now, um, we could be talking about all kinds of things and it wouldn't make, make a whole lot of sense to them. It's all just kind of, you know, what's going on in this organization. Uh, from a contemporary standpoint, it would make more sense. For example, let's say we're reading a document and someone, or someone to prophesy, a prophet comes along, prophesies in the church and talks about, you know, this sanctuary and the kids sanctuary and the one any sanctuary and the uh, uh, big high school behind us that had 3,000 high school students in it and something else. Well, now, wait a minute. We get it. That has to be off in the distance. Why? Because we understand this one, that one, and that one. There is nothing back there right now. It would be great if there is someday. But, and I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying, you know. All of a sudden, now we would get a sense. You see what I'm saying? Someone a thousand years ago, too, they say, well, gee, how do they know that, that was a pro- prophecy? Well, because at the time, it wasn't here. And I think a lot of that is through the Old Testament. They would notice that, okay, this had happened. Or even as they looked back, they saw that this had happened and, and, and the other side of it happened. But there's this middle section that they describe that nothing like that had taken place. So that's how they identified it as the prophet now had kind of just gone off and started speaking off way into the distant future. What the prophet was experiencing when he was writing these things, who knows? You know, all these prophets were a little odd, strange people. And they were just writing what God was putting on their hearts. And again, sometimes they take huge jumps in time. And anyway, I think as the nation of Israel went along and they looked back and they started analyzing, well, this must be of the, of this is yet to come and, and this is of the Messiah that's going to come. And they started identifying these portions of scripture. I'll point out some of them, some of the more significant ones as we go along so you can kind of get a sense of, of it. Um, and then some things, uh, you know, at the time Jesus came along, still made no sense to them. They had no idea, you know. Uh, uh, we're going to read about it in the book of Acts, assuming we get this far, and I shut up and start reading the Bible, uh, where he stops and says, hey, this is that which was spoken by such and such prophet. And they went, oh, that's because now it makes sense. All right, so that's how they, they broke these things down. Now, Amos is writing, and he's warning that the judgment of God is going to come. Um, we'll read little bits and pieces of this Amos the second chapter verse 6 talking about the judgment on Israel this is what the Lord says for three sins of Israel even for four I will not turn back my wrath they sell the righteous for silver the needy for a pair of sandals uh, Amos is really big here on, on uh, hammering uh, the people because uh, one of the sins that they were very egregious about was they were very terrible in dealing with the poor and they oppressed the poor. And, and while we don't hear a lot of it today, the Bible is pretty big on how to deal with the poor. 
and helping the poor and assisting the poor. One of the reasons you don't hear much of it uh, in contemporary Christianity today is quite frankly uh, since uh, concepts of socialism, you know, and there's varying degrees of it, uh, entered uh, contemporary life 100, 150 years ago, um, by and large now the government takes care of poor people. Okay, not that we still can't be there to help people and stuff like that. Um, uh, and, you know, maybe one of the reasons this happened is because the church did such a bad job of it. You know, uh, maybe we didn't do a very good job of what we were supposed to be doing. And uh, But this is one of the things the Bible often talks about. Even in the New Testament, Jesus was very, very, very big on helping the poor. And, uh, in fact, uh, Jesus' ministry took in so much money, a lot of people aren't aware of this, People gave a lot of money to Jesus as he was going along. And uh, he had one guy in charge, and his whole job was to get rid of the money and to give it to the poor. That was his job. Remember his name? Judas. <laughs> Judas Iscariot. You know, we know things did not end well for him. But uh, um, that was his job. He's got to get rid of it. got to get rid of this money. Give it away. Give it away. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have? <laughs> We got so much money. Who wants to start giving some of it away? Because I can't keep up with it all. I mean, what a great gig that would be, right? So, uh, and that's what they did. So, uh, anyway, the New Testament, Old Testament, all very, very big on helping the poor. And Amos is uh, very strong here and, and talks a lot about their failure to do that. So, you're selling the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, you know, anything for money. You trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. A father and son use the same girl. You can imagine what the girl's use was. Uh, and so profane my holy name. Uh, and on and on, just us describing their sins. All, these guys were very, very profane. They were violent. They were disgusting. They were sexually immoral at an incredible level uh, and very unjust. And uh, you talk about poor and rich in a culture. I mean, there was no such thing as a middle class, really, in these cultures. And the poor were being decimated by those who had the power. Uh, You can jump down to uh, verse 10. He says, God saying to them, I brought you up out of Egypt. I led you for 40 years in the desert to give you the land of the Amorites. I also raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your uh, uh, young men. Now, a Nazarite was someone that was dedicated to the service of God. Uh, and usually, uh, they, what would mark a Nazarite is they never cut their hair. <laughs> Some of us don't have any. But they never cut their hair. Uh, and they were never allowed to drink wine or any alcoholic beverage. Okay, So they, this was the thing. They were totally dedicated just to God for this deal. And what he's saying is, that, like, even amongst you, I started raising their prophets and these special... Uh, Samson was a Nazarite. You know, God used him mightily to uh, help set the people free. And so I said, I raise up these great guys among you. Is that the true people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. And you commanded the prophets not to prophesy. Now then I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. And the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The feet... Fleet-footed soldier will not get away, and the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. Very bad, bad day that is coming uh, for these people. And uh, uh, he, he continues to talk to them about how he tried to get a hold of them. 
Uh, he would uh, get a hold of their hearts. He would rebuke various segments of the society. Chapter 4, he rebukes the women. That's <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> he calls them cows. <clears throat> I didn't. He did. Hear this, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some more drinks. I need another margarita over here. You know, I mean, they're, they're living high on the hog and they're ignoring the poor and the needy. Something they were not supposed to do, which we're still not supposed to do, by the way. Again, different culture because of what we live in today. Uh, so the sovereign Lord has sworn in his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You know, ooh, bad news. I mean, you know, he's talking about this horrible stuff that's coming uh, upon them. Um, verse 6, this is very interesting, how God had tried to get their attention by bringing them difficult times as a, a form of discipline to try and snap them out of their foolishness. I gave you empty stomachs in every city. And lack of bread in every town. Yet you have not returned to me. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was three months away. I sent rain to one town but withheld it from another. On one field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water but couldn't get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. You see some of the frustration that God was having these with these people. Again, we, we just skimmed over lightly as we were going through Kings, because they didn't you know, spend much time talking about these guys, but what they were doing was so outrageous and God was trying to get their attention and no matter what, they wouldn't turn back to God. Uh, you know, and as I was reading this, I thought, you know, this, I know people like this. You know, that God has tried a gazillion different ways of getting their attention and they just don't get it. And they keep hammering their heads up against the wall and hammering their heads up against the wall and hammering their heads up against the wall. Hammering their, you know, and all they walk away is, man, that's a hard wall. And they never get it. You know, maybe there's a reason your life sucks. You know, have you considered that? I've shared the story before, but I remember talking to one, one couple came to me and over, well, I won't say where. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, they came to me and said, uh, you know, you talk about God blessing um, our lives, but he hasn't blessed our lives. Why not? And I, I, I knew these guys and I knew even though they were coming to church, they were living in sin with each other. They're fornicating their little brains out and it uh, didn't seem to bother them. And uh, so they met with me and they said, well, why, why isn't God blessing us? You talk about God blessing you, us. And I, I looked at them and said, well, because you're fornicating your little brains out. And they giggled and said, oh, we knew you would say that. But, but really, why? <laughs> and I said, because you're fornicating your little brains out. I mean, they, it's just like zing, zing. They don't get it. There's cause and effect. I'm stunned at how many people today see no connection between what they do and what they get. None. Talk about governments. Aren't we great for that? 
We pay people whether they do anything or not. You know, there's no consequences. One of the things with the church, you were supposed to help the poor, but there were still strings attached. You need to do something. You need to get a job, get a life. Paul said, if they don't work, don't feed them. There was a high motivation to get something done. You know what I'm talking about? You know, but today, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And everybody said, well, how come I don't get the same thing as the next guy? I should get the same thing as the other person. It doesn't matter what they do. You know, they got tenure. You know, they got some group watching out for them. They got something to protect them. And they want to be, if anything, we live in a culture today that works hard to separate people uh, from what they do and the results they get in their lives. And, uh, you know, not to get all political on you and stuff, but uh, we got a problem in that area in this country. And at some point, it's got to stop. You know, why don't I have as much as the next guy? Because you don't do what the other guy did. I mean, I know we have this whole thing, the rich and the poor, and the rich have too much, and the poor don't have enough, and we need to spread it. Okay, I, I know what they're trying to say, but hello, there's a reason. I don't make the same money as a brain surgeon. I didn't pay attention in school. <laughs> you don't want me working on your brain. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason. You know, how come I don't, how come I don't, you know, make as much money as a rock and roll star? Well, because you never worked like that rock and roll star did to get great at what they do. Or, you know, there's a reason for things. What we want is we want equality all across, separate from what we do. And I'm telling you, it's a formula for disaster. And it will rot the soul of Western culture if we don't get a clue. And uh, so this whole thing, and it's, it's like these people, they just don't understand. You know, they, they do everything God tells them not to do. They totally disobey the Bible. They totally disobey what God says. And a million different reasons, you know. Uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, if you give, I will bless you financially. And then we're surprised when we're not blessed financially. Well, do you give? Well, no. Well, why not? I can't afford it. Well, maybe you should give so God will bless you financially. So you can afford it. Huh? I mean, it's just, they don't get it. I just want the blessings well, you know, we're the kind of people, we pray, God, help me win the lottery, and I'll give. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. If you're one of these nimrods who's always buying lottery tickets, knock it off. It's a tax on ignorance for crying out loud. It is. Ignorant, help, 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 pay that extra money. Good grief. I don't know. Anyway, it's just this, you know, he's saying, I did this. I even caused this. I caused this. This in your life. This in, and you still would not. So, therefore, this is what I'll do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, oh, Israel. I mean, you know, hell is coming. And I mean, you know, serious destruction came upon this nation. And they just wouldn't get it. Check this out. In, in, in chapter 5. Verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. Hello? These were the feasts God told them to do. I cannot stand your assemblies, like when you go to church. I hate it when you go. It would be like God saying, I hate it when you guys come into church. I thought we were supposed to go to church. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. It's like you guys coming in and you give a whole bunch of money to the kingdom of God. And God says, I hate that stuff. Though you bring choice offerings, I have no regard. And away with the noise of your songs. They just irritate me. 
Wow! I mean, this is like pretty nasty stuff. God, But God had had it up to here. Because what would happen was, they would live like hell, and then come before the Lord. Praise the name of Jesus. Yes, yes, it's all great. Here, let's praise and worship God, and leave, and live like hell! And live like hell, and live like hell, and live, and then go to church on Sunday. La, 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 la. And then go out and live like hell. And God said, I hate this. I don't even like it when you come to church, he said to him. And that's what he was saying. Because he couldn't stand the disconnect that these people had in their lives. He said, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Verse Chapter 6, woe to those of you who are complacent. These are the people who just sat around, oh, it'll be fine, everything will be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's great. No worries, man. Don't worry. Be happy. You know. And then God kept, you know, he was talking to the prophet here in chapter 7. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested just before the second crop was coming up. When they stripped the land and these swarms of locusts were going to come in and I cried out, Lord, forgive us. How can we survive? We're such a small country. So the Lord relented. Okay, this won't happen, God says. And then the sovereign Lord showed him this. That the Lord was calling for judgment by fire and he was going to dry up the deep and devour the land. And I cried out, oh Lord, I beg you, stop. We can't survive that. Please don't do that. So the Lord said, okay, I won't do that. And then he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And, uh, and the Lord says, what do you see, Amos? He says, I see a plumb line. And the Lord says, well, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel and I will spare them no longer. And, and what he's saying is, God kept coming back. He prayed, God, please don't. Know. Okay, I won't. And then they take him off. And then God is going to bring judgment. He cried, oh God, please don't. Know. Okay, I won't. But it just kept coming. He kept coming. He sets the plumb line, the even line, the line of measurement. They're falling short. And judgment came on them. And, uh, and he talked of the, the horrible disaster uh, that was going to come. He encouraged them to repent, but they would not repent. But they, he, they would always, he, all these guys would pretty much end with this kind of a theme. And this is in uh, the very last chapter, chapter 9, verse 11. He says, in that day I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name declares the Lord who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plow. And when he goes on and he talks about how he's going to restore. He says, judgment is coming. I am going to kick your butts like you cannot believe. And he described it in great detail. Again, all the different prophets kept warning them, warning them, warning them. But they wouldn't stop. But he always ended with hope, saying, listen, what will happen is you will uh, eventually come back and I will restore you. So that's, that's basically the, the, the thing of the uh, little book of Amos. You can certainly read it uh, in detail if you want on your own. It's, it's got some neat things in it. Uh, then you have this, the very next book. This happens to be right here in, in order, the correct order, as best as we can tell anyway. Um, Obadiah. Obadiah, Obadiah. No, different song. Uh, Obadiah, it's a very, very short book. In fact, it's, it only has 21 verses in it. 
And uh, all this is, is uh, God is speaking of the punishment that he's going to bring on these Edomites. The Edomites had invaded Judah and plundered Jerusalem. And Obadiah speaks and he prophesies and says, you're going to get yours. And that's basically what this is about. Um, it was encouraging for the people who had suffered through this to see that God had not forgotten about them and that he was going to restore things and that these guys were going to get theirs. Okay, so that's all that uh, is. Then, then the very next one would be the book of Joel, at least as best as we can tell. The prophet Joel comes along. And, uh, and this, one's, this one's pretty interesting. This one is doing two things. One, it's explaining what has just happened and telling what's going to happen. This one does both. And uh, what he does is he explains what just happened and then he uses an analogy of what's happened to what's going to happen and then how God's going to restore everything. But in this case, he does drift off into this prophetic future. I'll show you what we were talking about at, at the beginning here. So, um, chapter 1, verse 1 of Joel. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen to all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? What? What happened? There was this major locust thing that had swarmed through. And uh, he's basically taking the time to explain to them what had happened. Tell it to your children let, and let your children... I tell it to their children, their children of the next generation, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten, what the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten, what the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten, a lot of locusts. Anyway, wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste to my vine. He's talking about this big plague of locusts that came through. It's laid waste to my vines, ruined my fig vines, and stripped off their bark, thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. And, and on and on. So he's basically going on and talking about this horrible thing that had happened. And, uh, and then uh, he calls them to repent uh, for their sins. And the reason this had happened is because of their disobedience basically to God. Then, in chapter 2... He uses the analogy of the locust to warn of another locust army that's coming. But this time it's a real army. Uh, he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. And it's interesting. You know, he says, it's close at hand. A lot of these guys prophesied and it was hundreds of years before this all hit. Yeah, this is, God is not nearly as linear as we are. And, uh, you know, the Bible says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And, uh, and maybe these guys didn't take these things seriously because they didn't happen right away. I don't know. But uh, he says it's coming, it's close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spread across the, uh, the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor will ever be in the ages to come. Before them fire devours, behind them a flame blazes, before them the land is like the Garden of Eden, behind them a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. We're talking about this army that sweeps through and wipes them out. Uh, they have the appearance of horses that gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots, blah, 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 blah. So it goes on and he starts talking about uh, all this stuff. And uh, verse 12 
He says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. God would warn them, show what's coming, but he'd constantly be appealing to them. Stop. Stop what you're doing. What you're doing is destructive. It is sin. It is the wrong thing to do. Listen to me. But they wouldn't listen. He says, return me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Um... Remember, they were very dramatic. Eastern culture, they still do this stuff today. You know, you'll see on the news somebody, something will happen and they're throwing dust in the air and they're tearing their clothes and they're going crazy, you know, in the Middle East and stuff when somebody dies or something. This is part of their culture that uh, for thousands and thousands of years. And one of the things that they would do to show sorrow is they would rip their clothes. Oh! And what he's saying, you know, you need to rip your hearts, not your garments. In other words, it needs to really be real. Just because you go through this, oh, you know, but your heart doesn't change. What's the point? Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. So again, warning them, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. But man, just listen to me. Stop. Maybe I'll change my mind. I don't want to do this stuff. I don't want to do this stuff. But they wouldn't listen as we read as we were going through the through the uh, first and second kings. Pretty amazing stuff. Anyway, he just goes on and uh, he talks about uh, all this horrible stuff that's going to happen. And then he goes into this mode again where I will bring restoration. We can pick it up in verse 25 of chapter 2. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm. My great army that I sent among you. Talking about this army that's going to come. And you will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and Jerusalem there will be deliverances. The Lord has said among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Now what I just read here is a prophetic chunk. He's talking about how God's going to restore. And all this happened. But what I just read did not happen. And they knew it was a prophetic thing because it didn't happen at the time. And for a hundred years later it still had not happened. So they knew there was something unusual about this portion. Again, how would you know? if you're just reading it you wouldn't know that he just jumped into prophetic mode. They knew it because... They knew their history and they knew the time just like we would know if someone talked about something that isn't here yet. Okay? Um, so now, now what's unique about this and why it stands out is because of what he says. I will pour out my spirit on your sons and daughters, on all people, men and women, both. And they will prophesy and God will use them. Well, that had never happened before. Up until this point, the spirit of God would fall on just a few prophets here and there. That was it. And it talks about a day when someday everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's, what is he talking about? They don't even know what he's talking about. Because the only way you could even be saved is, is to become a Jew and to be circumcised and obey the law of, of Moses and follow all the rituals of the Old Testament. Ooh, there's so many rules. And, uh, and, but now he's saying people who just call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You know, what is that? And then he starts talking again and he goes back more into the stuff that they had experienced or were uh, more contemporary things and basically wraps it up. Now, uh, we find out where this fits in Acts, the very second chapter. I was going to say the very first chapter, but I think it's the second chapter. Yes, second chapter. Okay? This is when the uh, uh, disciples were all gathered together. Uh, Jesus had been taken up before their eyes, or he'd, he'd been crucified, raised from the dead. He was talking to them, wow, pretty cool. And then they watch him as he goes, and he's gone. It's like, whoa, okay? And now they're praying and they're waiting. He says, don't go anywhere until I send the power of the Holy Spirit. So they're all praying, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes down. And they all start speaking in tongues, and all this incredible stuff's going on. And people are walking around saying, what in the world are they doing? And they could understand bits and pieces and different languages and from different countries. And they said, how are they doing this? I mean, this is pretty wild stuff. And then Peter got up, chapter 2, verse 14. Peter stood up with the 11, okay, all the... And he raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. Because these guys are drunk. They're out of their mind. You know, people think of that when they come to our church services, you know. Because we're clapping and singing, man, what are you guys on? We're on Jesus, man. We're just praising God and having a great time. So, you know, they didn't understand this, this exuberant, worship that they were involved in and he says uh, these men are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine o'clock in the morning obviously peter had never been to green bay uh but uh <laughs> you know that'd be nothing around here um he says no this is that which was, this is what was spoken by the prophet joel all of a sudden it made sense to him he understood this portion of scripture because again it had not happened. They'd never seen it happen. That's how they knew it was a prophetic thing. They didn't quite get it. And then he quotes what I just read to you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on your people, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see uh, visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will show you wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and coming uh, before, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord uh, will be saved. And he started preaching the gospel. So what he's, he now gives context to this. This prophetic thing. Which, by the way, even within this, this has prophetic parts that haven't been fulfilled yet. What's that? Well, the Lord hasn't come back yet. And the uh, sun has not been turned dark and the moon hasn't been turned red blood. And, you know, so there's parts of this that are still yet. How do we know it's yet to be prophetic? Because it hasn't happened yet. Again, you see what I'm saying? So that's how they could identify. They were much better at identifying these things because they knew their history like we don't. Uh, So that's how you'll understand how they understood what portions were prophetic so anyway he he says this is that fulfillment that part of it that god said i will pour out my spirit on out everybody and everybody can be saved that would call upon the name of the lord he says this is that and they all knew what he was talking about because they were all very diligent uh to study the old testament and these were one of these minor prophets that they studied and no one quite knew what this little portion was and now they saw it fulfilled uh in their presence okay um and that's pretty much the, the book of joel uh, 
And I think we're out of time. Yes, we are out of time. So we'll pick it up uh, next week. Uh, we're going now on, on to Isaiah, which would, would be a major prophet. This would be the next one in line. And uh, you talk about some beautiful prophetic words. Isaiah, and it's a big, thick, a major prophet. This is a, this is a very, very thick book in the Old Testament. As he spoke of so many different things and so many wonderful analogies of turning back to God and incredible prophecies about the Messiah that, that was to come. And we'll identify some of those and, and, and read them to you. Very familiar portions of scripture. Some you'll remember because we read them at Christmas time all the time. It'll sound familiar to you, that kind of thing. So, All right, so that's enough for tonight. We'll see you next week.